every once in a while when you give us a glimpse of what it's going to be like someday when we stand around your throne and give you praise for all eternity. Jesus, thank you for giving us that kind of access is unbelievable. That we would have access to the God of the universe, that the great I am would be here in our presence and we could be in his. So we thank you for that. Spirit, thank you for taking those things that we can't really voice into words and not even sure what to say and presenting them before the Father. And so, Lord, we thank you for the privilege of being a part of this family here and this celebration this morning as we unpack your word. May this day be a great day as we explore nuances of what it means to be able to take what we've learned and share it with those around us. So bless everything we do from beginning to end and may tonight when we finish and Keith walks out after a great night in senior high ministry knowing this was a great day in your house. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. hope you never, and I don't think you do, but I really hope you never take for granted the privileges every once in a while of those little glimpses of heaven that God gives us when we're able to stand together and sing like this. I would never embarrass him, but he is named rightly David. One of the greatest worship leaders in all of humanity is King David and writes to us and for us some of the greatest songs ever written and reminds us again over and over again what it's like to be in the presence of God. And I so love working with this man and what he's done and what he brings to us. This week, as he said, was district conference. Pastors from all over the district came. Some of them excited, some of them weary, some burnt out. We had the opportunity to minister to them. And like always, I, I'm probably one of the best teams I've ever seen or worked with in my entire life of ministry is what God has blessed us with here. And to be able to watch them work, Dave put eight, nine sets together to be able to lead and worship the tech team, Gary and Joe and... And our facility staff here was amazing. Our administrative assistants, I mean, the list is endless of people who served. So thank you for doing that. Thank you for praying for us. We did have an exceptional week. Got a text this morning from Bob and Grace. They landed in the United States. They've been in Green Mountains ministering to missionaries. And uh, hopefully we'll be back sometime late this afternoon. But I know they would deeply appreciate your prayers as they recover from that. want to remind you to make sure that you are registered to vote. One of the most important elections, I believe, Regardless of what you think and the frustration of these last few months, this election is incredibly important. Many have paid the ultimate price for you and I have the privilege that we do to vote on November the 8th. Don't ever take that for granted and don't ever step on it. Make sure that you're registered. We'll talk about it in a few weeks about our voting process, but make sure that you're registered. I think this is the last week to be able to do that and make sure you're there. We've been in Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to continue there this morning have sermon notes in your bulletin, so I want you to take them out as you follow along with us, and we can share time together. We've been talking about in the first three chapters all the things that God has done for us, what we were, what He did, what He offers, and now from four on, how to live it out. Your sermon notes this morning, individually, in our families, as marriages, as we'll talk about in a few weeks, and ultimately as a family of God. Talk specifically in this chapter about the church and the responsibility that God has placed in our hands as a church, not just CAC, but the Church of Christ, the ones who have invited Christ into their life, recognized that he bought and paid for their, their uh, life through the cross of Calvary, and they accepted him as their Savior. You're a part of the family of God. You're the part of the Church of Jesus Christ. And he's entrusted into our hands this incredible responsibility of completing what he started. 
Elton Trueblood, a 20th century theologian, he was a chaplain at Harvard and Stanford, said this, there's no other person in history who's impacted all of humanity more than Christ. He was deeply concerned for the continuation of his work. And his chosen method was the formulation of a small band of committed friends. Didn't form an army, didn't establish a headquarters, didn't even write a book. What he did was collect a few ordinary men and women, inspired them with a sense of spirit and vision, and gave them a mission and a commission to finish what he started. He would go with them, but the plan was in their hands. There was no plan B if it failed. That's a lot of weight. We don't need more discussions on theology. What we need, he said, are people radically committed to Christ and committed to one another. The plan of God to reach the world has been left into our hands, the church. There is no plan B. It is up to us to finish what he started. Physician Luke writes the book of Luke and talks about the life of Christ. He goes into the book of Acts and says, Let me let you know, O Theopolis, what happened? What happened after he left? How they're continuing the work he started. The rest of the New Testament is written to us to help us understand how we pick up where they left off until ultimately the work is done and Christ returns and we're able to sing all of eternity around the throne of God. Jesus, one writer says, was not satisfied in having a succession of audiences to which he might proclaim the gospel. What he was interested in is having disciples in whom and through whom his ministry would be multiplied over and over and over again. I took a survey a number of years ago of 5,000 pastors across the United States and asked them what was their greatest need in the church. Of those that responded, 98% said their number one or number two need in the church was to get people involved in ministry. Their number one need or their number two need was volunteers. The one thing you'll hear us say pretty much almost every Sunday, we need some help here. We need some help there. Ephesians chapter 4 is where you are this morning. I want to take your Bibles out. I want you to follow along with me as we unpack the first half of this, the next couple of Sundays into the second half of chapter 4. Paul said to them, look, in light of what I just shared with you in these last three chapters of who you were and what Christ did and what he offers, I beg you, live the life worthy of the calling. You're going to call yourself a follower of Christ, a believer in Jesus, not just a Christian. Many times that word is overused. You're going to identify yourself as a follower of Christ or a Christ follower, which means I'm imitating him. I'm doing everything I possibly can to live the life out that he's called me to. Then I beg you, live a life worthy of what you're calling yourself. In Ephesians chapter 4, beginning of verse 11, he said this. It is he, Jesus who gave some apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. In an effort to prepare God's people or equip God's people to do ministry or works of service. So that, why is all that done? So that the body of Christ can be built up. So that we can all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become ultimately mature. Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, Paul says if we pastors, evangelists, teachers, and ministers equip you to do the work of the ministry we won't be tossed back and forth to and fro by every wind of doctrine it blows in many places by the various cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming those of you who are raising children 
Know what it's like to know that you've done everything you possibly can to prepare them for the future. And that all of a sudden that day when you send them off to college or send them out into the workplace and hope and pray that everything you did prepares them for what they're about to face. Right? Isn't that what you want to do as a parent? You want to make sure they're ready. You want to make sure they're on solid ground. Well, when you send them out into life, especially if it's a secular college or a secular environment, they're going to be challenged by their faith or in their faith. And sadly, some of them who aren't prepared are going to be blown back and forth by every wind of teaching. Well, that sounds good. I'm going to follow that for a while. Well, no, that sounds good. I'm going to follow that for a while and that for a while. Doesn't mean every one of them will, but I'm saying one of the things you want to make sure that you have done as parents and we have done as a church is to prepare them for that challenge because I'm telling you, they're going to be challenged every day of their life in many environments about every wind of doctrine that blows whatever way it wants to blow. And we're hoping and you're hoping and we want you to do everything you can. We'll do our part to make sure they're prepared for that because the challenges in today's culture are overwhelming. I've been around for a long time, and I'm still blown away by the things that I continue to hear. You, I mean, don't you wake up every once in a while saying, you've got to be kidding me. Now they're doing this. Now they're doing that. Now this is okay. Now that's okay. You want them to be prepared. Paul said the same thing 2,000 years ago. We want to make sure that we do everything we possibly can so that they're not blown around by every wind of doctrine so that they become mature in Christ. Speak the truth in love, he goes on to say, so that we in all things would grow up together in him who is the head that is Christ. For him or from him the whole body fits together. Supporting ligaments, they grow and they build themselves up in love. As every part, which is what you and I are a part of, you and I are the part, do their God says, when I understand that I'm responsible to do everything I can to prepare you to do what God has asked you to do, and you do your part, we will grow in Christ. You will grow in Christ, and the church will continue to grow. That's what they discovered in the book of Acts. It hasn't changed. When they established and understood their priorities, what God called them to do and what they were supposed to do, and did it well, and made sure that everyone else was involved in the process, and as many people as they could possibly train and equip to be involved in the ministry, it says over and over again, the church continued to grow and thrive. The one entity on this planet that continues to survive no matter what is the church of Jesus Christ. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell itself will not be able to stop it. But it only happens when the people of God really understand their responsibility and part of the process to do everything they can to do what God's called them to do as long as I and all of us on the pastoral team are doing what God's called us to do. And when that happens, explosive things can take place and the world, he said, can be changed. What I want to look at this morning is that word equip or prepare. Now, it depends on what translation you have. I grew up King James and and RSV and NIV and just a lot of different translations. There's dozens of them out there. Uh, you, you do know that the Apostle Paul didn't have one particular one under his arm when he walked around, right? Now, some people still believe that it was a King James. Well, it was good enough for Paul. It's good enough for me. He didn't use that one. All right? NIV, whatever one you like. I like NIV. It just helps me understand. I love the message, which is a paraphrase of the Scripture, just so you understand that. But it's really powerful. There's a word that he uses in this context here, equip or prepare, which is the same word that is used for what Jesus discovered the fishermen that he called to join him in the effort were doing when he first found them. 
and that is they were mending their nets. When Jesus first came across Matthew, or James and Peter and John and Andrew, they were fishermen. And he called them and asked them to leave what they were doing and follow him, and he would make them fishers of men. When he first came in contact with them, the scriptures tell us they were mending their nets. That's the same word here in Greek that Paul uses in verse 12 when he talks about equipping or preparing people to do the same word. The root of that and the essence of that is fascinating when you relate it to what Paul is talking about here and what they did there when they were mending their nets. Your sermon notes, there are three things I want to tell you about that this morning. One is, it is a continual process in your notes. The first thing you realize when you think of fishermen mending their nets, it was never done. Never a day when it was completed, when it was over. Every day after fishing, they'd bring the nets in and they would look at them and by the fish or the haul or just the, the saltiness of the sea or whatever it is they were in, they would take its toll on that and they would have to mend that net, prepare it, and use it again. There was never a day when they said, okay, we're all done. Never have to do this again. Every day they would mend their nets knowing they were going to go back out fishing, knowing they were going to come back to shore and mend their nets again. It's a never-ending process. Preparing and equipping people is always under construction. There's never a time when you can fully say, I'm fully discipled. I don't need any more. I'm good. Everything I've ever needed in Christ, I'm done. I don't need to learn anymore, know anymore, do anymore. I'm good. Thank you very much. Never a day in our journey of life where we can say that as a follower of Christ. There's always more to learn, always more we want to do, always an opportunity <coughs> to grow in our relationship with God. Now, for us on this side, who do that for a living, we also know it's a never-ending process. And it's something we're going to continue to do. It's hard. Sometimes it's difficult. But it's a job that needs done, and we need to do everything we possibly can to make sure we do it well, knowing that we'll do this for the rest of our lives. I heard the story of a pastor who became a funeral director. Someone asked him why, and he said, I poured my life into people. I gave them every kind of advice you can possibly imagine, but they walked out of my office and did what they wanted to anyway. Now when I straighten them out, they stay straightened out. <laughs> oh, man, have I thought about doing that as a living sometime. <laughs> Number two, it's for the purpose of work. They mend their nets for the purpose of work. Remember we talked a few weeks ago when we had all the art up here? And we talked about you being a work of art and me being a work of art. And we are God's handiwork and we are his masterpieces. The one thing that says out of that context and the one thing he reminds us of here, it was never meant just for display. He did all that so that we could do what God has called us to do. So that we can use our gifts for the glory of God and the ministry of people and the recognition of our opportunity to reach the world with the gospel of Christ. It was never meant to just be on display. They didn't fix their nets and say, okay, let's just put them up somewhere so that people can look at them and say, isn't that nice? It was for the purpose of work. Because they had the equipment they needed, they were able to do everything they could to share that and to make sure they used that in their work. There are a number of reasons that you and I attend or are part of a church in your notes this morning. One is adoration. Prayer and praise, an opportunity just to stop everything and celebrate the goodness and grace of God. I love this place. I love what Dave does. I love the opportunity Sunday after Sunday just to be a part of this. That's why God said thousands of years ago, look, do everything you possibly can to preserve this day. That one day where you stop, 
you rest, you recognize, you acknowledge. Put a fence around it. Put a hedge about it. Protect it with everything you have. And whatever you do, stop. And just honor me. Rejoice in me. That's one of the reasons we gather together the way we do. Secondly, relationships or community, just to be able to be together and connect together. I love this church family, but I only get to see most of it once a week. And so I get the chance to see you and to share, and you get the chance to do that in your men's Bible study, your ladies' Bible study, the Thursday night group, the Wednesday morning group, your small group, wherever that may be, to connect with people in the family of God. One of the reasons we exist is community and relationships. It's what God designed from the beginning of time. Personal growth, spiritual development. We come so that you can grow in your walk with Christ, so that we can do everything we can to help you deepen that walk, to whet your appetite, to be in the Word of God, to grow more and more like Him. And then finally, we come to pass it on, to give it out, let others see it. Now, till all four of those dimensions are met, prayer and praise, an opportunity to celebrate the goodness of God, whatever that may look like, and community and spiritual development and passing it on, until all four of those are done, we really haven't come to church or really aren't a church doesn't matter whether we have a building or not or a logo out front if those things aren't being done in your sermon notes i said when we receive without giving we become fat now i said spiritually overweight but in my notes here i said we just become fat like a sponge that's never squeezed out we're only taking in never give out when we give without receiving we become faint we become weary and tired. That's why Paul said, look, don't get weary in well-doing. Make sure that you do everything you can to replenish and renourish. When we're out there giving and we're not receiving good food from the body of Christ for our spiritual life, we will get tired and weary. But when we're out there giving and receiving, we become faithful and fulfilled. That's our goal, to begin to soak it in and then give it out and share it with other people. When you come on Sunday morning, you have one of four things in your hands. You don't see it. I see it sometimes, but you don't always know that they're there. If I were really sharp and intuitive, I'd have had them all sitting up here this morning. But a lot of you come with a funnel. You know, I just want to take it in. That's, that's awesome. But I just want to take it in. Whatever I can get out of this, I, I, I just want to take it in. Now, some of you come with a shield, you know, deflecting it onto somebody else. I hope they're here to hear this. You're elbowing somebody. Are you listening to this? He's talking to you. You don't say it. Well, some of you may say it, but... You never say it, but you're deflecting it off. I hope they're here to hear this this morning because, boy, do they need that. Some of you come with a box. You ain't getting me. I only came because she made me. But I ain't going to be moved, and I ain't going to sing. Go ahead, try. You know? Now, you don't always see that either. I see it every once in a while. I think Dave sees it every once in a while. But it is interesting to watch because you know that's what they're doing. And there are others who come, I don't even know how to describe this. I put the word conduit in my notes this morning. I know there's a, probably a better word. But, but they, want, they want to receive and then they want it to flow through them out to those around them. They don't want to just keep it for themselves, and, and they don't want to just make sure somebody else gets it. They do want to get it. They do want to understand it. They do want to be impacted. But then once they see all of that, they want to make sure they give it along. And a lot of you do that really well every single Sunday. But I just want to say to you, before you pass it on, always make sure you ask the question, what do I need to know? What, what do I need to learn from this? What do I need to hear from this? Every once in a while, I'll get anonymous notes. And as you can well imagine, they're never positive. And they're 
pretty good shots, you know, always at me. Now, I have staff members, I'll say every once in a while, and they're going, why are you reading those? And I get it, that's a, that's a really legitimate question, I should just trash them, but I do read them. Now, that is not licensed for any of you to send me an anonymous note now. If you have something to say, sign your name. All right. I don't get a lot of feedback. To be honest. I get one or two texts and one, maybe one or two emails a week about uh, Sunday. So I'm not always sure how to read it. But I, I do get a lot of those, and, and I read them. And, and as much as I know they say I should trash them, and, and, but I, I read it and say, God, is, is there any truth in here that I need to learn? Anything I need to know? What, what do, is there anything I need to change? Is there anything in here that's true? No matter how frustrated I am, they didn't sign the name. Is there anything that's true? And then, and then I, and I pitch it. But I, 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 we always want to be in a place to say, God, before I th start throwing to everybody else, what do you want to say to me? What do you want me to learn? And then we're here to help you pass it on. We're here to equip you in every way you can imagine. If you want to be a part of the worship team or the tech team, we'll have you shadowed. You'll make sure that you're very clearly understanding what your responsibility is and the joy of being able to do that when you're a part of it. Life group training. Jim's one of the best trainers I've ever been around. Loves to do that. Give you more tools than you can imagine to be able to do what God's called you to do in that ministry. Youth ministry is a monthly training, an opportunity to help you understand what it is that you're called to do and how to be a group leader and how to be involved in the lives of some of these students. Children's ministry is ongoing training, constant, continual development in your journey. It's never going to throw you in there hoping you can survive somehow with these kids. We're here to help you learn and grow missions trips, half a dozen training opportunities before you go. We'll do our part. What we need is people who are willing to be involved in the process because what you do is number three, an extension of what we do. It's an extension of the equipper's work. You know there's a difference between a pole and a net, right? Especially the nets that they're referring to here in this context in an Old Testament or New Testament days. With a fishing pole, you catch one at a time. And, of course, those of you who fish know you're lucky to do that. But with a fishing pole, you catch one at a time. With a net, especially in this context, they're huge nets. I mean, sometimes they take two or four guys to throw them out. That's why they're always two together, at least in a boat. And then they pull in this haul. Remember, that's how Jesus was identified on a number of occasions whenever they pulled in the haul and it was filled with fish. If you do what you're called to do and I do what I'm called to do, collectively, we can reach so many more people than I could ever do in my own. Do you realize just the power of this room and the first service that was here this morning of people who have the opportunity to reach others that I will never, ever in a lifetime or two lifetimes ever meet? Too many churches and pastors are responsible to do everything. Like that guy you've seen at the circus where he's got one plate spinning and the next and the next and the next. And then all of a sudden, this, they finally got the last plate spinning and the first one begins to wobble. And so he runs over and tries to do that. I've seen that over and over again in my ministry with a lot of guys that try to do it on their own only to have it all come crashing down. Now, in your notes this morning, I, I, I chose to do this. But what I don't want you to do is tell other pastors that I told you this. Is that fair? I'm going to give you a, a, a few reasons why some pastors, not all of them, but fail to equip their people. And in some cases, they, they lack training. Fascinatingly enough, in all my years of college and seminary, I was taught about ministry and how to do ministry, but not simply to be able to pass it on. I was taught more to be a theologian 
than a pastor. My wiring and my gifting was in pastoral ministries, but I was taught more about the how to do it than how to get others to be involved in the process. I, I found it fascinating after coming out of seminary that I didn't have one class on how to run a board meeting, knowing that that would be something I would be doing for the rest of my ministry life every single month. Now, I just found that fascinating. Christianity Today, a number of years ago, said 85% of what we learned in seminary will never use in ministry, so please be patient with us. <laughs> number two, they're not expected to. Usually the expectations of the congregation are for the pastor. To, you've heard it before. That's why we pay him. I've heard it over and over again. You got six pastors here. Not one could go to the hospital and see my friend. Did you? So there's the expectation here that we are to do it all. Some pastors receive ego satisfaction from being needed. They actually become codependent on their people. Every pastor knows what it's like when he goes to the hospital room and somebody's on their deathbed and somebody looks up at him and says, oh, thank God you're here, pastor. And then we rub the S on our chest and we wait for the Mormon Tabernacle Choir to sing because we've showed up. And some like that. What's interesting that I found all my years of ministry is that there are a lot of guys who go into ministry with a need to be needed and then get burned out because they couldn't meet all the needs. My desire is to so train you and equip you to get you so deep into the Word of God that if you were stranded on a desert island, you would be strong enough in the Lord God Almighty to stand on your own without me or anyone else. You grow spiritually when you stand on your own in the Word of God and you will find out in the midst of those times that Jesus is enough. For many, it's hard work. It's a whole lot easier sometimes just to do it yourself. And all of you, and no matter what field you're in, know sometimes it is a whole lot easier just to do it yourself than train somebody else to do it. And for us, it's the same. Some pastors feel like they're better suited to do it because they think they know all the answers and they've come out of seminary and training, and that's not true. The strength of a church is not what you hear, but what you do when you leave this place. The greatness of a church is not what it takes in but what it gives out. Some people feel inadequate. Well, I just can't do that, Pastor. Which violates the word of God when he said, everything you possibly imagine, everything you will ever need to do life and godliness is in me. And Peter, each one of you use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards, he said in chapter four. And finally, number seven, which is the most true. They're just unable to find people who want to get involved or want to work, want to serve. When it's done right, it says it very clearly in here. Man, we'll grow up. We'll be everything that we're designed to be. We'll grow in our relationship with God. We won't be tossed back and forth by every wind of doctrine. We'll be able to be strong and all that he designed us to be. And we will come out at the end shining like gold and have the opportunity to do it over and over and over again until Christ returns and pour our lives into the lives of people who get to enjoy just a little bit of what we enjoyed this morning, someday when we stand around the throne of God. When it's all said and done, those of us who know Christ is our Savior, we're going to glory. I mean, we get to celebrate with Him for all eternity. And we get to praise His name, and we get to enjoy the aspects of what all He promised us is, is in reality when He reveals it to us. He's given us glimpses every once in a while in the Word of God. And the one thing that we want to make sure we have done is to do everything we possibly can to take as many with us as possible, everyone we come in contact with, to let them know what we have found in Jesus because it changed your life. 
It changes your life, and you want to make sure they have found what you have found. You want to rescue them and take them with you. 2006, a horse named Barbio won the Kentucky Derby. I, I, I love horses, so I watch it every once in a while. I don't do the four. It fascinates me. Four hours of TV preview for a three-minute race. It fascinates me. So I, I get to that point, and, and he won big. I mean, by six and a half lengths, I, I heard. And it, it's a great story, and, and if you've heard it before, it's a fascinating story. What's interesting, when I, I heard Ron Hotchcraft this week do the behind-the-scenes story, a, a story I'd never heard before. It was a story of his trainer, the horse's trainer, named Michael Mance. And a number of years before, he was on a plane, and he had been near three kids who were traveling on their own and began to pick up a relationship with them and talk to them. And as, as time would have it, the plane went down and crashed. 111 people didn't survive, I believe. Michael Mance went back in and found those three kids and rescued them from the plane. The story goes that he actually went back in again and brought out an 11-month baby. All he could think of is those three kids whose parents were with him that he could rescue, and he did. Fast forward to 2006, and when that horse crossed the finish line, those three kids who were now adults were there and there to celebrate that amazing day in his life. When I thought about that and heard the story, I thought, there's coming a day when every single one of us will cross the finish line, and we'll be able to celebrate nothing they'll ever do on this earth will ever compare to what you and I get an opportunity to experience. But I don't want to go alone. I obviously always wanted to go with my girls, my kids, my family, Way more than that. You don't want to go alone when you have the answer to someone's life and eternity and given to you and entrusted into your care by the hands of Almighty God and you're taught it almost every single Sunday. Isn't there somebody that you want to rescue? Somebody that you want to share what you have found in Christ? Somehow that you can tell them what you have found to rescue them from darkness and eternal death and fire into the kingdom of light and to be able to rejoice with you for all eternity. There's got to be somebody that you want to rescue, that you can pour your life into, that you can do a ministry, that little girl, that little boy, that child, that nursery worker, that youth kid, that one that you think never going to get it, that ministry that drives you crazy, the people that don't seem to connect, to all of a sudden the list is endless. I could go on for an hour. Got to believe there's a lot of them that you and I would have the opportunity to rescue, which is why we do what we do, which is why I've answered the call of Jesus when I was in fourth grade, to be able to do what I do to help you understand how we can do this collectively get her, get together and reach people with the greatest message on the planet and take them to glory and celebrate for all eternity. You've got to believe that's what you want to do. We're going to end this morning with communion. It's an opportunity to remind us of the price that Jesus ultimately paid for our rescue. All of us deserve death. All of us deserve fire at the end of life and eternal hell. But he offered himself so that we could have life and have it forever. And so he gave his life. And what you're about to hold in your hands are two symbols of that life. A piece of bread and a cup. His body, his blood shed so that you and I can have life forever. What I'd love for you to do this morning is just take some time in a, in a moment of, of reflection to say thank you. 
You, you offered me life and I received you as Savior and you gave me life and you offer me eternity. I want to be so grateful for that. And then ask him, is there a way that I need to be involved so that somebody else can find what I have found in Christ? During the month of September in many West African nations, they're celebrating a feast, the Feast of Sacrifice. And during that week, the Muslims will find a, a perfect lamb or a goat and, and sacrifice it. A missionary friend of mine wrote me the other day and said, in Senegal alone, they needed 750,000 lambs to sacrifice, but only 400,000 were found in all the domesticated flocks. And so many families went away saying, I don't have a sacrifice to offer. And all I could think about is the fact that we already have one. We don't need a lamb. We don't need a sacrifice. It doesn't have to be anything that we have ever done. The price has already been paid. And one of the reasons they're there and one of the reasons we support them is that they can get that message out, that it's not about whether or not you have a lamb. The lamb of God gave away his life so that you and I could have life forever. And they're there to share that story, share what they have found in Christ so that they don't need to look for a lamb because the lamb has already been slain. You and I have the opportunity to take this message of salvation to everyone we meet. So as you hold these elements in your hand, be incredibly grateful for what he has given. Ask him who you can share it with because the price has already been paid. The lamb has already been slain. He's ours. Gentlemen, if you'll come and serve our congregation here, you're going to notice that both elements are in the same tray, so help the person around you, let everyone get served, and then I'll come back in and lead us, and then we're going to close with an ending song.